So we're in week two of a, of a study on the book, the Old Testament book of Exodus, and in that, the life of Moses. And we're talking about how that God draws us out to draw us into to different things. And I'm excited about today's sermon because I, I, it's just geared towards the average, everyday, everyday, ordinary person. And it's a good thing because I believe every one of us uh, is just that average, ordinary, everyday person. And, and I'm the poster boy for that. So now one of the things that, that I've discovered about life is that God loves to take the ordinary of this world and he, and he loves to, to separate them, draw them out and to, and to use them to do the extraordinary. And more times than not, he, he seems to, to love to use ordinary people who have been wounded, people who have been broken and scarred and, and, and sometimes crushed to do some of his very best work. There's an old proverb from a 19th century guy named Hezekiah Butterworth that says this though. He says, the bird with the broken pinion never soars as high again. In other words, once you've failed, according to this guy, you will never ever attain heights that you did before. Now I know there's a lot of you here today and then there's a lot of folks watching online this morning. You, you know, you, relate, you feel like you can relate to that proverb. I mean, you've tasted the agony of defeat or, or failure and, and somehow you've bought into this idea that, that you're never gonna be worthwhile again. You're never gonna be usable again. Maybe you've been through a divorce and, and you've put yourself on the shelf or maybe others have shamed you and, and so you just are there or you've committed a sin that has trapped you in guilt and shame and you're feeling very unusable or you've, you've failed in a business, or you, maybe you recently lost your job, and, and that's a very insecure feeling. Maybe you feel like a failure as a parent, and uh, you're, you just feel like a failure all the way around when, when, that, when that thing goes off the rails. And I want to give you a good word. A friend of ours, Chip Judd, who, who's spoken up here, said recently, he said, you know, don't, don't judge your parenting until your kids are about 30, 35 and a half. And I thought, that's a great word. I'm going to hold on to that one, Okay. But, 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 but you're struggling there. And maybe, maybe you experienced a tragedy and, and it's just, you've just been overwhelmed by this cloud of guilt that just won't leave you. Or maybe you're a student here today and you've messed up and maybe you made this public declaration of faith and, and then you've messed up and you're just wondering, can God ever forgive me for that? And, and because of whatever you've been through, you feel like your wings have been clipped, that, that, that you'll always be damaged, that you will never fly as high as you once did. See, the problem with that proverb that I read a moment ago is that it's just not true. Matter of fact, it's never been true, all right? Sin and defeat and trials and failure just remind us that we're all just very ordinary. We're all just ordinary people in desperate need of an extraordinary savior. Well, if you're ordinary this morning, I've got great news for you, okay? Because God loves to take the ordinary of this world and he loves to draw them out to use them and use them to do the extraordinary Think about just examples in the Bible. Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, he, he was a liar. I mean, he, he told blatant lies on more than one occasion to save his own skin, and yet God called him a friend. Think about um, his grandson, Jacob. Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob was a cheat. He cheated his own brother Esau out of his birthright, and yet God used him to be the father of the sons that would become the 12 tribes of Israel. There's a woman in, in the Old Testament book, Joshua. Her name is Rahab. She was well known in Jericho's red light district. However, it wasn't because she was out on the streets ministering to the down and outers of Jericho. She was actually one of the down and outers of Jericho. She was, she was a prostitute. And yet God used her when, when Moses sent out spies to check out the, the promised land. 
God used her to hide those spies so that they wouldn't be killed. And her name is listed in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. And then catch this, she's listed as one of the ancestors of of some pretty big, big names in the Bible. Names like David and Solomon and Joseph and then Jesus. And how about this guy, John Mark, in the, uh, in the New Testament? In the middle of a very crucial missionary journey, John Mark flakes out and he bails on Paul and he goes home. And when the time comes to assemble another missionary team, Paul doesn't want anything to do with John Mark. He didn't want to be around him. He had written John Mark off as a bad investment, but God had not written him off. When, when John Mark was given a second chance, he came back with flying colors and God used him to write one of the four gospels, a book that he actually named after him. God called it Mark, all right? And that's huge. And again, here, here's one of the many things that I found to be true about God. And not, not, not just for everybody, but, but this is my own personal experience. God likes to take the ordinary and use them to accomplish the extraordinary. The apostle Paul wrote in, to the church at Corinth, at Corinth in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. You know, what what is an earthen vessel? An earthen vessel is nothing more than an ordinary clay pot. It was originally uh, this lump of clay that someone dug their hands into and begin to mold and shape it and move it around. And then, and then they put it in the fire so that it could be hardened, so that it could be used to hold things. And that's who we are. Paul says we're earthen vessels. We're nothing more than ordinary clay pots. You were molded by the maker's hand and then you were stuck in the fire to be used by God's purposes. And I know some of your fires were a little hot than others. Some of you, you, you look in the mirror and you know I've been, you've been chipped and broken. There's, there's glue marks all over you representing all of those broken times. And some of you feel like maybe you're still on the potter's wheel right now. I mean, you're just, man, it's like God's still got his hands in you, molding you and shaping you and it's painful. Or you're still in the furnace and it's flaming hot. I love how author uh, Chuck Swindoll says, he says about that. He says, it isn't the condition of the pot that's most important. What's most important is the treasure inside. And the treasure inside that Paul talks about here is the greatness and the glory of God. And even though we like to take broken things and either throw them away or judge them as being unusable, God loves to take the ordinary and many times the broken and the chipped and and the cracked and, and even the crushed and use them to pour out his greatness so his glory can be on display for the world to see. I mean, think about what happened on this campus Friday night, night to shine. God used over 500 ordinary, broken, chipped clay pots to minister to some of his most precious pieces of pottery so that his greatness and glory could be on display for the whole world to see. Now, last week I introduced you to Moses and I introduced you to the book of Exodus. And I want to do a little storytelling for the next few minutes to kind of bring you up to speed. I know that because of the weather and the flu, a lot of people have been out of church. So I want to kind of bring you up to speed if I could. Exodus 1 and part of Exodus 2 is really the story of the Israelites being forced into slavery by the Egyptians. 400 years it was. It's the story of a, of a cruel, jealous Pharaoh ordering all newborn male children to be put to death to stop the growth in the nation of Israel. And then we get into Exodus chapter two, which we were the last week, and we're introduced to this uh, Jewish child named Moses. And when Moses is born, his mother hides him for three months and she puts him in a basket 
And then she floats him down the Nile River, hoping that some kind-hearted Egyptian woman will find him and will raise him. And in God's sovereignty, the woman that finds him is Pharaoh's daughter. And she finds him and she, she draws him up out of the Nile River to rescue him. And then, without even knowing who she's hiring, she hires Moses' own mother to nurse him and to be his nanny. I mean, think about this for a moment. Moses could have easily grown up to be a very spoiled Egyptian prince. He could have been assimilated into Egyptian religion and Egyptian culture. But God directed Pharaoh's daughter to to put him in the hands of Moses' very own mother. So Moses would never lose his connection and his commitment to his own people. And at the end of Exodus chapter 2, the Bible tells us that when Moses had grown up, one day he goes out from Pharaoh's palace to visit his own people, the Jewish people. And he watches, okay, they're, they're in slavery now, and he watches people being mistreated and forced to do hard labor. And he looks over and he notices an Egyptian man, all right, being cruel. I mean, whipping and beating an Egyptian, or excuse me, a Jewish slave. And in, the, in a moment of anger, he kills the Egyptian and he hides his body in the sand. And when Pharaoh hears about this, he, out of anger, he, he goes after Moses to try to kill him, but Moses escapes and hides in a place called Midian. And while he's in Midian, he meets a, a family, a priest named Jethro who had seven daughters. And Jethro gives one of his daughters, a girl by the name of Zipporah, to be married to Moses. And Moses spends 40 years out in the middle of a nowhere place called Midian living as a shepherd. Now, let me give you an interesting bit of info here about the book of Exodus and where we are right now. Chapters one and two of the book of Exodus covers about three and a half centuries, okay? Chapters three through 40 cover the events of one single year. And according to Acts chapter seven, the story of Moses can really be divided up into three 40-year segments. The first 40 years, Moses is in Egypt. He's being, uh, he's being nursed by his very own mother. He's being trained by Egyptian schools. The next 40 years, he's in the desert, being nursed by solitude and tough times and being taught by God. Then he spends his final 40 years with the Hebrew people in the wilderness, being nursed by by discouragement and trials and tests, taught by the law, which he received from God's very own hands. I love what old school pastor D.L. Moody says about this. He says, Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody. He spent his second 40 years learning he was a nobody. And he spent his last 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. And all of us in this room, we can relate to Moses. We've had years when everything just seemed to be going great. We were on a roll and everything was just going our way. And then all of a sudden, one day, everything just comes to a screeching halt. And we feel like Moses, kind of stuck out there in the middle of nowhere, feeling like a nobody, wondering if God is anywhere to be found. We've been there. We get into chapter three of Exodus and and we see that Moses is 80 years old now. Remember, he's just spent 40 years hiding in the desert, making his living as a shepherd, okay? Grew up in an Egyptian palace, 40 years in the desert. And these aren't even his own sheep. He's he's a shepherd over his father-in-law's sheep. Talk about a downgrade. Moses was born to be Israel's deliverer. And yet, listen to this, God didn't even reveal any of that to him until he was 80 years old. Now, for some of you who feel like you're too old for God to use you or your best days of effectiveness are behind you, Moses should be your inspiration. You, you should put a picture of Moses up in your room, okay? I mean, every, put him on your, on your mirror in the morning. I want to be like Moses, okay? If you're, if you're 60, listen, you know, Moses was 80. That's the new 60, right? You need to go, hey, 
this is my guy right here. Because his most effective years didn't start until he was 80 years old. And again, God loves to take the ordinary and do the extraordinary. Look at verse one of chapter three. Let's start reading together. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. Now, for all of these years, we have no record of any conversation between Moses and God. Absolutely nothing. Moses has been in the desert, as as I said, for 40 years. That's over 14,000 days. And then one ordinary day, he is out in the desert watching over his father-in-law's sheep and the angel of the Lord appears to him in a bush that's on fire. And uh, Moses notices that it's not being consumed. I mean, it's not burning up. There's, there's, There's nothing special about the bush. Matter of fact, the Hebrew calls it a thorny scrub. A thorny shrub. All right. Some of you may feel like a thorny scrub this morning, but it was a, it was a thorny shrub. Okay. And Moses said something that I think all of us would have said, you know, and we see something like that. He's like, man, I've got to check out this bush. I got to see why it's not burning up. What's up with this crazy shrub here? Verse four, when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I, God. Verse five. Then he said, Do not come near, take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now, the word holy in the Bible actually means to separate, to to set apart, set yourself apart. And God is calling Moses to, to separate himself. Set himself apart from where he's been, separate himself from the mistakes of his past, separate yourself from past failures, separate yourself from your fears. Moses, I want your undivided attention. I want you to listen to what I'm saying. Moses, at this very moment, this very moment is so holy that I want nothing to come between us. I want your full attention. So in honor of this moment, take off your sandals. Separate your stinky feet from your stinky sandals. I want your full attention. Verse six, and he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Now, when you hear that lineup, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that's like the starting lineup of the Bible all-star team. It's like, it's like the big three, okay? It's a better big three than this is us. I mean, this is, a, this is the big three. <laughs> yet, yet these men, when you hear those names, you need to understand these men, these guys were all, they had failures in their lives, These were guys who had sinned in God's eyes and God was saying to Moses, I'm the God of ordinary men who in spite of their failures, they accomplished some pretty big things. Verse seven, and the Lord said, I I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and heard of their cries because of their taskmasters. And I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Pezzarites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and all the other ites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. If you ever wonder if God cares about the details of your life, reread these verses very slowly and just let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. Now think a moment about what's happening here. God has just told Moses, I'm aware of what's happening in Israel. 
I hear their cries, Moses. Their prayers have come up to me. So I'm coming down to rescue them. (laughs) Moses is probably thinking, it's about time. These people have been in in, in slavery for like 400 years, God. I mean, you, you go, God. I'm all about your plan. You are the man, God. Now, here's what you need to know about Moses. He had never seen Charlton Heston's Ten Commandments or the recent Prince of Egypt movie. So he has no idea about what's going to happen next year. But verse 10 says, God says, come. He says, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now I want to date myself for just a moment here. Do you remember back in the, for those of you who, Remember this, back in the late 70s up to the mid 80s, there was a TV show called Different Strokes, all right? These, this, these two brothers, African-American kids who were adopted by this rich white guy. And, and you know, you remember Gary Coleman when Willis would say something off the cuff, you know? What did he say? He said, what you talking about, Willis? And, and this, this would be a, an, a very appropriate moment for a time like that. Moses, God said, I'm going to rescue my people. I'm going to deliver my people from the Egyptians and I'm going to use you to do it. What's she talking about, God? I mean, now remember, this is a man who's been out hiding in the desert, tending sheep for 40 years. In his mind, he is used up. He's a lost cause. His best days are behind him. His wings have been clipped. He's 80 years old. And so he begins to respond to God with a number of excuses. And I want you as you listen to these, to think in your mind, can I relate to any of these? Have you ever used any of these lines before to debate with God? Here's a few excuses. Verse 11, but but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? In other words, God, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified. How many times have we said the very same thing? God says, I want you to do this. And we answer, God, I'm just not qualified. I do not have what it takes. And just like Moses, oftentimes we miss the whole point. God has already told Moses, I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to rescue them, Moses. I'm just going to work through you to make it happen. Some of you know that God has asked you to do something. He's been very clear with you. This is what I've called you to do. This is what I've created you to do. And you've said to him, I'm not qualified. Now, I want you to know that's actually a great answer because we're not, but God is. God is qualified. And I love what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. He said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. And I want you to know here today that because Jesus lives inside of you, you are capable of more than you think you are. You have the Holy Spirit of God empowering you to do what God has called you to do. And you have the God of the universe who looked at at Moses and he said, listen, I'll be with you. You don't need anything else. You don't need anything else, Moses. I'll be with you. And then Moses gave him another excuse. He said, I don't know enough. Verse 13, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And I love God's answer in verse 14. He says, Moses, tell him I am who I am has sent you. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am who I am. Tell that to the Pharaoh. I am has sent me to you. Tell that to the people of Israel. 
The words I am who I am are the very characters in the Hebrew language that spell out the name Yahweh. It's a, it is the most intimate, sacred name for God in the whole Hebrew language. I mean, it is so sacred to the Israelites that you won't, they won't even put it uh, in print. They won't even put it on a t-shirt. You, if you go to modern day Israel today, you, you, it's rare to see that name. And God is saying, tell them that the only self-existent infinite being in all of the universe has sent you. You represent him. I am has sent you. You tell them that. And we move into chapter four, verse one. And Moses says, but, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. You're lying to us. Which brings his third excuse. God, I'm afraid. I'm scared to death of what you've called me to do. Moses, like many of us, struggled with fear. He feared being ridiculed. He feared being seen as a silly old man who had lost his mind. And at this point, God asked Moses a question. All right, Moses, let let me get real practical with you. What's that you're holding in your hand right there? And Moses looks and he goes, it's a stick. It's, It's a staff. He goes, throw it on the ground. And when Moses did, it turned into a snake. snake. Now, apparently Moses also had a fear of of, of snakes as well because he jumps back, which I would have done the very same thing. But God told him, reach down and pick up that snake by the tail. And when he turned back, it turned back into a staff. Now now listen, God says, Moses, when, when you're with Pharaoh, here's what I want you to do. You, you take that staff and you throw it down on the ground in front of him and, and you watch what happens. It's gonna turn into a snake ju- right in front of him, just like it, it did to you now, just now. And Pharaoh will know that the God of Israel has, has sent you. But if he doesn't, okay, if he still doubts it, here's what I want you to do. You, you put your hand into your coat and you pull it out. And when you do, your hand's gonna be just snow white with a terrible disease on it. And you show that to Pharaoh and then stick it back in your coat again and pull it back out. And it's gonna be completely free of all of that. It'll be healthy and like brand new. And if he doesn't believe that, here's what I want you to do. You go to the Nile River, you pour up, you get some of the water out of the Nile, you pour it in front of him. And when it hits the ground, it will turn into blood. See if that does it. Look at verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. It's almost like, like Moses didn't hear anything God had just said. He just goes right to the next, next, uh, next excuse, which he's saying, I don't have the ability. Now, many scholars believe that Moses had a speech impediment. Verse 11, then the Lord said to him, Moses, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God says, Moses, you may not have the ability, but I chose you. I have the power to give you the ability. Now, here's something you need to know and something I've learned personally. God's call on your life will usually involve an invitation to do something that you think you are incapable of. Listen, when when, when God grabbed a hold of me, my senior year of college in 1987 and called me and set me up and said, I want you to separate yourself to be in, in ministry. Listen, I, I had been running from God in college. I had been in some sinful things and I said, God, I'm not qualified for this. And I've already put myself through college. Who's going to pay for, you want me to go to seminary? And within the week, a pastor in New Jersey called me and said, hey, we want you to come be our student pastor next summer. And we're going to pay for all four years of your seminary. And I'm like, are you kidding me? What are you talking about, Willis? I mean, I, I, I couldn't believe it. 
When God called us to start this church in 97, I got to tell you, Amy and I, we struggle with fear. Who's going to do that with us? We're, that, what if it fails? And all of a sudden, Paul and Angela, Steve and Christy, Dave and Chris, all the, and 46 people all together, some of you in this room right now, you jumped in and God just made it happen. In 03, when God was making a way for us to build this building, I, I really struggled, honestly, because I, I know practically nothing about architecture stuff and construction. I can barely hammer in a nail. Okay, seriously. And out of nowhere, God brings an Alan Hornback, who's just an amazing guy in construction, a Jeff Brewer, who is one of the best engineers in the business, and just people like that. And it just happened. I mean, I'm amazed by this. When God called me to start a church planning network in 08, I, I, I put it off for two years. I'll be honest, I didn't think I was smart enough to do it. And I, I put it off. Every time I put a new country out in front of you, okay, for us to tackle, Cuba, Guatemala, Burkina Faso, and now Scotland. Listen, I wrestle through thoughts that people are gonna think I've lost my mind. But I know God's called us to it. Philippians 2.13, Apostle Paul says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is working inside of you. And in Exodus 4.13 Moses hears all this stuff and he says, but oh Lord, please send someone else. In other words, I don't really have the desire to do it. And in this point, God's had enough. You ever been in a moment where you think, okay, God, I think you've had enough. In verse 14, it says, and the Lord's, the the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Now listen, Moses is is, is in a tough place right here. I think he realizes, okay, I pushed God far enough here. But God in his patience and grace with Moses tells him to take his brother Aaron along with him to Egypt to speak on his behalf. We're gonna find out later that Moses probably would have been better off just to simply trust God and follow his original instructions. But aren't you glad this morning that God is patient with us through our fears and our doubts and our insecurities? I am. I mean, God's shown grace to me and I just go, Lord, I don't deserve that grace. And he's like, I know, but that's, that's who I am. I want to give you four truths before we go home today about this story. First of all, God will do whatever it takes to get your attention. For Jonah, it was the stomach of a big fish. For Isaiah, it was, it was walking into a temple and seeing angels on, fiery ho- on fire hovering over the, the Lord on his throne. For, 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 for Paul, it was a, a blinding flash of light that put him on the ground when Jesus confronted him on the road to Damascus. It was, for Moses, it, it was a burning bush. Now, I don't know about you, because I can be really stubborn and hard-headed. God tends to be very deliberate and very specific with me. I mean, he's allowed me to go through some broken relationships, some injuries, different things like that to say, come on now, this is what I want you to do. And I want to ask you today, what's your burning bush? What What is God used in the past or what is he using right now to get you to listen to him, to, to be obedient to him? What is he calling you to today? What's your burning bush? God will use whatever it takes to get you to move to where he wants you to go because he wants to use you to do extraordinary things. Number two, God's not interested in your resume. He's interested in your willingness. God wasn't concerned about Moses' pedigree or his ability or his skill level or even his failures. Listen, God just simply wanted Moses' his, his willingness and, and the same with us. What, is it, what, what does it take for God to use an ordinary person to, to, to do extraordinary things. Very simple. A willing heart. A simple yes. And then this one's big. If God calls you, he will also equip you. 
God calls you, he will equip you. Verse 12, he's, the Lord says, now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Throughout this whole story with every excuse, God tells Moses, I'll provide, trust me, it's on me. And the story is the very same for you. If God has called you to do something here today, called you to step out, in spite of your fears, in spite of what's going on in your mind, the lies you're believing, listen, he'll provide for you. This, this quote has, has, has just carried me through so many years from Charles Stanley. He says, God takes complete responsibility for a life totally yielded to him. The Apostle Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, he says, and, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God doesn't call us to something than to leave us by ourselves or to fend for ourselves. He's with us, he provides for us, and he enables us to accomplish what he asks us to do for him. And then finally, and some of you need to hear this. So for some of you, this is your burning bush moment. Failure is never a final sentence over your life. Some of you have kept yourself on the sidelines for way too long because of, of a past failure in your life. For some of you, maybe you've gone through a divorce or a failed relationship and, and you, in your mind, you have deemed yourself, labeled yourself disqualified. Maybe others have done that to you. For, for maybe you have a very checkered past and Satan lies to you that, that you'll, you'll never rise up from the ashes of that failure. It's just never going to happen. Maybe you've tried something before and it just fell on its face. It just failed right in front of you. And you, you, you don't know if you can handle another failure. You are so sure God was in that. I, I mentioned God calling me to start a church planning network in 08. And, and I actually started one in 2006 that failed, just failed miserably. And, uh, had I listened to that voice that said, you failed before, you don't have what it takes, you're not quite smart enough, nobody's going to jump in on this with you, I would have missed out on a network that we actually did start in 2010. And, and, and I'm looking at this going, man, I, I don't know what this is going to look like. And God brings this guy, Mac Lake, on board, who's just one of the most brilliant leadership minds in the world, church world, and certainly the world. And then a guy named Kevin Dunlap, he's got a great business mind. And we start this thing called Launch. And in four years, 86 churches are planted. And then... God calls us to give it all away to something else that over the last two years now has now used all of that to start 400 churches all over North America and it's just taking off. And I can't take credit for any of that because I'm just not smart enough to make anything like that happen. But I do know that God loves using ordinary things, things that have been crushed, things that have been broken, things that sometimes other look, others look at and go, nah, Nah, too messed up. Not, doesn't quite have what it takes. Nah, just will never fly high again. And, and he just loves to accomplish the extraordinary. He just does. What's God calling you to do right now? Where, where is God wanting to stretch you? You see, we think we know our, our capabilities, but you know what? God, he loves to stretch us to think beyond what is possible. That's what he does. He loves to put his power on display in our lives so that people will see Jesus in and see him through us. And if God has called you to a task, listen, he will carry you through. He will guide you. He will equip you. He will give you all the grace, all the tools that you need to accomplish the assignment. 
And you, you may get into it and go, you know what? This isn't perfect. This isn't exactly what I thought it would look like. You, you may have some moments of doubt, some moments of fear, some, some, some moments where you get knocked backwards a little bit, some moments of failure. But what he wants is your willingness and he wants a heart that just leaves the results up to him. So what's God calling you here today? What's he calling you to? Listen, it, it may be God wants you to work in the preschool, investing your life in those little ones, introducing them to the gospel. It may be upstairs with our kindergarten through fifth grade where we get a chance to see so many decisions made for Christ. And maybe, uh, listen, it may be with our students, 80% of people come to Christ before the age of 18. That's huge. Like, I, I don't know if I can handle middle school students. I'll be with you, all right? It may be the doors. It may be the parking lot. Listen, we don't talk about this enough here. It may be that God wants you to go into ministry full-time. He wants you to go to, go to Bible college. He wants you to, to just follow him wherever he's leading you. He, he may want you to be a missionary like the Darnells in Spain or like our missionary couple in Turkey, like the Arnolds in Burkina Faso. He may want you to be a church planner one day to leave the, the comfort of where you are and go out and step out into the unknown and plant a church from scratch. He may be calling you to do that. We want to partner with you on that. It may just be simple. He wants you to walk away from a sin that has you trapped, to walk away from a toxic relationship, to draw you out of that. You can't do, you can't do the extraordinary because you're just trapped in junk and sin. And God wants to draw you out so he can draw you in. But I'm broken, I'm crushed. You are a candidate for a miracle. You're a candidate for the extraordinary. Will you respond? God's just looking for a willing heart. He's looking for a yes. And when you do that, put your seatbelt on because you're about to see something amazing. Let's bow our heads for a moment. If you're here today and you know God's calling you to do something, but you're using every excuse in the book, I'm asking today that you would change your heart. Trust God. Put it on his shoulders. It's his anyways. Throw that burden on him. The calling is his. He's just asked you to join with him, partner with him, say yes to him today. Whatever that is, you know what it is. I don't. Would you be willing? Would you be willing to be a candidate for the extraordinary today? And if that's who you are, you know, for some of you, it may, what you need to do next is just get out of your chair in just a moment and come. Maybe you need to run down here, get on your knees at this, this altar. You know, I'm, I'm gonna tell you something. I, I think about my burning bush moments. 1976, I trusted Christ in the Pontiac Silverdome. 1996, I'm on my face before God. Chuck Swindoll's preaching in the Georgia Dome, calling me to whatever. Turned out to be planning a church. Think of my call, really, to ministry, 1987, on my knees, Thomas Road Baptist Church. John MacArthur's preaching. I can take you back to each one of those places. I can take you back to the, the moment, the place where I said, God, here I am, use me. This may be your burning bush moment here today. These steps over here may be, be, be your burning bush moment. Would you say yes to him? Trust him with the rest of it. For some of you here today, God's calling you out of your lostness, your sin. He wants to draw you out of 
of this life you're living right now that is just meaningless, has no purpose because there's no Jesus. There's been no forgiveness. There's been no, no coming to receive his, his, his gift of salvation. And so you are just, can I tell you, you're in a hopeless state and God's drawn. He wants to draw you out of that. But, but I've done all of this stuff. I, God says, that you're a candidate for salvation right now because Jesus paid for all that stuff. And what does God want you to do? Say yes. And if that's where you are today, pray with me. Say, Lord, at this moment, I don't even know exactly all that I'm jumping into, but I need forgiveness. Forgive me of my sin. I repent of it. I changed my mind. Lord, I need hope for the future. I'm hopeless right now. Would you come into my life? Jesus paid the price for my sins. I received salvation into my life right now. I don't even know what to do next, but I'm willing to walk with you and trust you. And if that's where you are, come see me at the end of the service. Go to the help center, fill out the card. Let us help you take your next step to becoming a disciple of Jesus. But receive his salvation today. I want want us to stand for a moment. I love this song, the reckless love of God. I love this line in there that says he will leave the 99 to go after the one. And you may be that one here today. As Paul said earlier, he's gonna keep coming after you. Can I tell you something I've learned as well? When he calls you to do something, he never, never pulls it away. It's just there. And I know for some of you, it's just nagging you. Don't miss out. Don't miss out on letting your life be part of the extraordinary when we moved here, I said, Amy and I said, Lord, we just want to be part of something that is so God-sized that we would be foolish to ever take credit for it. And I, man, if we'd have said no to this, we'd have missed out on so much. We'd have missed out on you. And I'm not patting myself on the back because trust me, this is way beyond me. But I'm so thankful that she and I together just said yes to this. And boy, it has been the journey of our lives. And I still struggle with fear and I still struggle with insecurities and I still struggle with the fact that I don't feel like I'm smart enough and that I don't have what it takes. And God says, you've already seen me work. Just keep moving forward because I have what it takes to keep working in your life. And so God just keeps moving. He wants to do that in your life. He wants to do that in your life. And it may not be planting a church. It may just be a, just, a, just a, a little step that may lead to other steps. But stop saying no to him. Be willing to let him use you. Use you. Reveal his purpose and his plan for your life. And that's where you are. Get on your knees before him. And let us help you. And watch what God wants to do with a willing heart. Amen? Amen.